0: Thank you for being a part of the Biloxi Baptist Association and for all the contributions you've made over the years to what our other 30 churches uh, do to serve the Lord. My name is Boots Hubbard. This is my 49th year in the ministry. So pray for me that I make it to 50. <laughs> <laughs> I'm already past 50 years of age and 50 years of the ministry this is one of my close personal friends, and he's going to tell you a story like perhaps you've never heard before, because this is all about a heart condition and how we all need to have a heart transplant, and this man has had a heart transplant. And I thought this was packed Your Pew Day at First Baptist Church life so I brought six people with me to church. <laughs> can anybody meet that?
1: <laughs> okay, we get
0: how many of About a dozen. <laughs> and I promise to get you out of here before one o'clock. We do want to beat the Methodists to the cafeteria. Does life have a cafeteria? I don't think so. I was listening to Channel 4 News the other day. and The weather lady said, there's rain moving into lippin'. <laughs> I never have found lippin'. <laughs> I've found life hand many times. Let's pray for Dirk because he's fixing to share with you a wonderful testimony of what God's done in his life. Gracious Lord, thank you so much for this young man and the miracles you've performed in his life. And today as he gives testimony of that, may all of our hearts be tenderized by the saving grace of your majest, majestic Son, Jesus Christ. I pray in his sweet name, amen. amen. This is Dirt Green, ladies and gentlemen. That's his whole family back there about midway through the sanctuary there. Brother Dirt, share up with us the word
1: testimony you got. Yes, sir. So my name is Dirt Green. Uh, I turned 17 last week. In June 22nd, last year, I needed a heart transplant. Now, I'd like to start my testimony with three simple questions, two about me and then one everybody's asked at some point. The first one is, after the service, if you would like to see the scar, I would be happy to so show you <laughs> uh, And then the second one, obviously, I'm wearing pretty bright, gr- tacky clothes, and I have a thing for that, too. Um, That all started in the children's hospitals because I've been in many (laughs) children's hospitals a lot. And you see doctors who are saddened by having to break this horrible news to these little kids and kids having to hear the news. And then the parents are usually the most stressed out of the two. And sometimes something simple is a kid wearing goofy clothes can bring a smile to their face. Because the way I see it, there was a singer, you might know him, his name was Johnny Cash. Man in black. He wore the black to represent all the people going through hard times and all this. Well, I believe in this world there should be people who wear bright clothes in order to help those people going through those hard times. And now the third question that we have all asked ourselves at one point is, Why me? Everyone in this room at some point has asked, I'm going through these hard times, these issues, everything in my life just seems hard right now. Why me? And I thought that question when I was eight years old eight years old at a wrestling practice. I was in wrestling, baseball, fixing to do football, simple eight-year-old kid. And I collapsed at wrestling. I was rushed into the hospital and the doctor said, ah, it's just dehydration, we can send you home. But one doctor, one doctor said, well, just in case, and you'll hear that a lot while I'm saying this testimony, just in case, those are the most heaven sent words, just in case. He said, just in case there's been a heart condition that's been being brought up more, killing kids on football fields, we're going to test you for it and see if you have it. And it turns out I did. Hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. Try saying that five times fast, it took me years to it down completely. And what that is, my heart had too much muscle. Sometimes that muscle would make it beat weird and go V-fib, and this is another big word ventricular fibrillosis. that's what i would go through and sometimes the ventricular fibrillosis would cause me to go into cardiac arrest which i've gone through two times in my life and imagine they told me whenever they diagnosed me you have hypertrophic cardiomyopathy they said the only way to make sure you're safe is don't do anything can you imagine a lot of you have eight-year-olds. If you don't have 8 years, at some point you was an eight-year-old. Telling an eight-year-old to sit down and do nothing, it's, it's difficult. And it was hard for me. You know? I was asking that question, why me? Why am I going through this? You know? And it took me years to realize that that simple question, why am I going through these troubles, is a lesson. Because God shows us lessons in ways. He can't tell you directly, so you have to live through it in order to learn it. Think about all the troubles you've ever gone through. Didn't something good come out of those troubles? Something wonderful, even if you don't see it, something good came out of those troubles. And I believe something good came out of mine. Because the best way to think about it, once again, with the 8-year-olds thing, 8-year-olds, they want ice cream for breakfast. They want all this. And you have to tell them, no, you can't have that. That's That's bad. They don't understand why you won't let them have the ice cream. They just know it would be easier, tastes good. But you know it's for their benefit. And one day they'll realize that because they lived through it. And then they'll teach it to their kids and so forth. And that's what God does with us. He wants us to learn that lesson. And throughout the years, I've went through many episodes of e But the very first episode I ever got was in eighth grade. It was science night. And... I was volunteering for a few of my classes, just running around, and my mom picked me up. I got in the car and I realized I didn't have my backpack. And I said, I'll go back in and get it real quick. It won't just be five minutes. And she said, well, just get it Monday. You know, no big deal. Once again, well, just in case, I'll go get it. Second I shut that door, I blacked out. I believe right in that moment God put me in His hands and He showed me the right way. What happened was I walked through the school, Found my backpack, and people watching said I was looking through it for my phone, and then I collapsed. Right in front of the nurse, and a CPR certified teacher. The nurse ran and got an AED, and the teacher started doing CPR, and I was saved that night. I was brought back to life. I went through cardiac arrest. I was in the hospital for a few weeks, and they told me I would need an IED in my chest. In case it ever happened again, my heart would get shocked back to normal. Uh, They told me I would probably need this surgery uh, ablation where they send a needle through my thigh and burn off muscle in my heart. I had three of those surgeries, three ablations, just burning off muscle. And around ninth grade, I remember I was going through a lot of hard stuff. I was asking, why me? Why am I not able to go play with my friends? Why am I not able to be like other kids? I was hanging around the wrong people, doing the wrong things, and one day I had an episode. Usually with the episodes, everything would go black and then I'd wake up in the ambulance. But this time, I went down in a cafeteria full of people, loud noise of a high school. But when I was down, I didn't hear a thing. Instead, I saw a warmth, and I heard this melody humming. And after that, I knew everything would be okay. I knew I was in God's hands. And it was from that moment I started telling my parents. I began telling them, if something happens to me and I'm not here tomorrow, that's God's plan. If it is, then hooray! You know? and, and then I would have more episodes and more episodes. But it was after that one, that one time, I knew everything would be okay. Even if something happened to me that I wasn't here, I would be okay. It would come from something and then i believe it was may of last year i was waking up for school i was getting ready usually my dad waits for the bus with me and he was falling asleep and he said no what just stay home today no big deal we can maybe go get some ice cream watch a game or something and first i was like sure i fell asleep i woke up school bus was right outside i thought well it's already here I picked up my backpack and left once again, the second I shut that door, blacked out. What had happened was I got on the bus, went to school, walked through the doors and said that I was headed towards the bathroom, it seemed like, and that's when I collapsed again. I knew I would be okay. A few days before that, I was telling my mom, I feel like something's going to happen. I don't know what, I feel something will happen, but I will be okay. I collapsed and once again I went to cardiac arrest. That IED, the box in my heart, was supposed to save me six times. Something man-made shocked me six times, gave up. If it would have been just for that, I wouldn't have been here today. I wouldn't be standing up here talking to you. It took my friend Dylan, Dylan Ackerman. He said he doesn't know why. Just one day he thought he would take a different path to class. And on that path he saw a group of kids huddled around and staring at he didn't know what, he walked through and he saw me on the ground. He said I was twitching, I was turning blue, but when I talked to him the other day, he said even though I was blue, he could tell something was clearly wrong. He said I looked at peace. Dylan, he said he's not a religious person, but after that day, seeing how peaceful I was, knowing, and then soon after when I told him my story, he said he began believing. Just from being able to see, and see the peace, he began to believe. In the hospital, they said they was gonna count my IED, see how many times I've actually gone beef them. They stopped counting at 13. That doesn't mean it ended at 13. They stopped counting at 13. My doctor told me, we'll send you to Plano and see if you can get an outer ablation done. That way, maybe it won't act up for long. We went to Plano, and. The doctor sat me and my family down and he said, do you know why you're here today? And I said, for the outer ablation. And he said, we've looked at the charts. It's it's past that. You need a heart transplant. And he said they're telling me the details, telling my family the details, showing us the chances of if I would live, what it would be like after. And I saw my mom was crying. My dad was stressed. The doctor was worried I was going to break down. And all I wanted in that moment was to make them smile because once again, I knew I was in God's hands. I knew I was okay. And so in that moment, he asked me, Dirk, do you have any questions about this? Seeing the look on their faces, this to be goofy. I said, yeah, I have one question. How is almond milk made? <laughs> I got the most dumbfounded one from the doctor. He said, that's a new no one. Um, <laughs> and it made them laugh. That's all I've ever wanted from people. People go through troubles and they see issues And just if someone can make them laugh, someone can make them smile and see there's a brighter side of things. Even in the darkest of times, there's a tiny little flicker of light. Then everything will be okay. And then once I was put in the hospital, I was admitted because they said it was so bad I needed to be in the hospital for the So I was on the A list, I think they called it, which means I would need a heart right away. They said they would see the monitors and there would be little flickers of my heart acting up. He was just being honoring, you know, and I remember I just kept believing, kept believing I'm going to be okay. And that's what got me through it. After the surgery for about three weeks, I remember I would have these constant dreams. I'd be awake, but I wasn't awake. I'd be, my eyes were open, I was talking, but I would be dreaming. And in those dreams, I would be walking down the hall with somebody and what's weird about this, this little part, of little snippet of my story, I wasn't allowed to walk yet. Because if you don't know this, after you have a big surgery, like a heart transplant, you have to relearn how to walk. I wasn't able to leave my room yet. And in these rooms, someone was walking with me down the hall. I said they were about, my brother's age, about 20, 21, 22, maybe 23. We were just walking and talking together. Usually it was random things, just talking. And then later on, I found out my donor was a 23-year-old male. His name was Caleb. And this made me start thinking. This man wrote on a note, a little donor card, saying that after he died, something good would be brought from his death. A new life. A brighter future for someone he didn't even know. And I started thinking more about that. Who else made a sacrifice that after they died, A brighter future would be brought for people he didn't even know. That man was put on that cross. (laughs) That man was put on that cross. He made a sacrifice where after he died, we would all be saved. We would be given a second chance, like how Caleb wrote on that donor card. I would be given my second chance. And now that eight year old kid that wasn't able to run, wasn't able to play with his friends outside, I wasn't able to be. for too long, just in case the heat got a bit too much, now I can do anything. And with that second chance, I've been volunteering. And first, it was the Miracle League. I've been trying to raise money for the Heart Foundation. I've been doing so many things. I've been sacrificing it all to God, because that's what He would want us—to have with our second chance, wouldn't He? Get all the good things we can to sacrifice them to Him. I had a piece of the scripture, but. I think I left it in the pew back there. I think it was Ezekiel. Um, don't fully remember it. But it said, out of you I will take a heart of stone. And in you I will put a heart of flesh. And I looked at that and at first I thought it's funny because my heart had too much muscle. You know, kind of a heart of stone. And they put in a new one, a heart of flesh. But then you really look into it. What is that heart of stone? That heart of stone is the old man of sin. With Christ, he takes out that old man sin, and he puts in a new heart. He gives you a second chance. He gives you a rebirth. And with that, he would want you to use that second chance. And even in the hospital, soon after, uh, I was always joking with the nurses, playing with the doctors, playing with the other kids. And one of the doctors came to me, and he said, there was one little girl. She's going through a lot worse stuff than I was. And because of the worse stuff, she was having depression. Bad, and bad depression. She said we brought in psychiatrists, we brought in doctors who try to help her. Nothing seems to work. And he said, okay, he said, you seem like a good enough attitude that maybe you'll help her. In reality, I think he was just meaning, ah, you're goofy, let's give it a shot. <laughs> brought her in and me and her played a board game. We kept talking. We was always laughing. And it was like that for the next few weeks. Me and that girl got out on the same day. We're still friends. And she said she's happy as she can be because she has that second chance. Because she was brought to God. And so now, I might have missed out on a lot of my story because I don't have a set know, I believe that I would just speak freely and hopefully I'll connect with someone in the audience. If I connect with one person today, then my goal of sacrificing to God this day would be complete. And so instead of leaving you with that third little question, why me? I'm going to be leaving you with a new one. What are you going to do with your second heart? What are you going to do with your second chance? Have a good day.
0: Doesn't that give you hope? Just when you're about ready to give up on young people, God sends somebody like that into your life. We should never count them out. God create a clean heart for me. Create a clean heart and renew a steadfast spirit within me. God's done that in dirt life. He can do that in your life. This is my wife, Rebecca. Her name's in the Bible, so be very nice to her. (laughs) Mine's not. But Rebecca carries in her purse a little bitty pill that actually comes in a little bitty bottle like this. Anybody here know what I'm talking about? It says nitroglycerin. It was not invented to keep people from having a heart attack or in the event of an attack, to let their blood flow more freely. It was invented to do damage, to blow up mountains, so dams could be built or roads could be constructed. But you see, ladies and gentlemen, God can take a negative. God can take a negative. God can take a negative and make life-giving substance from that. Don't ever count yourself out. At age 72, God called me to preach. What's your excuse? <laughs> I never wanted to be a preacher. I disliked preachers. They kept us too long, they were boring. They always got to the front of the line at potluck. <laughs> They always got two servings of my mama's rum cake. But we won't discuss that in church. (laughs) But I grew up in a Baptist church where. How old are you, sir? It's about how old I was when I accepted Jesus as my Savior. Then I got to do what you just got to witness. Then at 17, God called me into support ministries. Now let me tell you what that means. You see those two people sitting up there in the booth? That's support ministry. Playing music, that's support ministry. Putting people on radio and television, that's support ministry. That's what I did. And I thought I was doing what God wanted me to do. And then, just a little over a couple of years ago, he said, no, I want more out of you, son. I'm not done with you. I'm going to take something bad and do something good. So I began to pastor a little church down in Toler. You might have heard of it. It's called Rock Church. I got to serve with those sweet folks for a while. But we didn't have what you got. We didn't have any little precious hearts. We didn't have any young people. And now, on Saturday night, my wife and I go to a church in top. Last night, how many kids, baby, were there? 21 or 22? On a Saturday night? You think they could be doing something else? (laughs) I know they could because I'm the one who used to do those other things. There's something else. But you see, God got a hold of my heart. I used to uh, record preachers at the seminary. Well, I heard some sorry sermons. (laughs) Sorry sermons. So I had to sit there and listen and make them try to anyway whatever they were paying me to do wasn't enough (laughs) but I look back when I was his age and the church I grew up in when you walked in the door to the sanctuary you saw cowboy boots and you saw the rear ends of men who were kneeling at the altar I accepted Jesus Christ because of their example to me and I hope, men, at tonight's good time you're going to have. You have time to stop long enough and ask the Lord, Do I need a change of heart? Even at your age, He might change you. He might break you up. Fifty-four verses in the Word of God deal with a change of heart. He's not interested in your religion. He could care less about your religion. He wants your relationship. He wants it to be personal. He wants it to be one-on-one. And when you put your hand right here and start to try to feel your heart, if you're not feeling anything, you might need a heart
1: transplant.
0: (laughs) A friend of mine named Clifton Yancey wrote a song called Heart Transplant. So I couldn't find it, but I went and found my old Billy Graham songbook. Ellen and I know what it's about, don't we? There's a picture of Dr. Graham. Cliff Barris put these songs together. We don't sing them anymore. And I don't know why, Barry. In my heart, there are rings of melody. Since Jesus came into my heart, I'm changed. And you know, it's not just song books that are 60 years old. It's not just preachers who are seventy-two. In 1999, a man wrote a song. Said, "Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Don't you sing it, son?" Yes. Based on the first chapter of Ephesians, chapter uh, verse 18. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. I want to see you. If you haven't seen Jesus in a while. I pray that today. Before you go to the cafeteria. That you'll stop and ask Jesus back into your heart. I could preach to you. I got three points and a poem. And you'd be bored to tears. But you see I spent 29 years in the radio. And I learned you better hold the audience about 13 minutes. Or they're going to be snoring in your presence. Some of my mentors were Norval Slater on WFAA in Dallas, hymns we love. Ron Peterson on 92.1 Country Chapel. Then God let me have my own program on the world famous KPIR AM radio that if you aim your car to the station and open all four doors and roll down your windows you can get a signal. (laughs) (laughs) God let me talk about the miracle of having a a good heart. Some of you have had a good heart for many, many years. But I can tell you honestly, without a heart transplant, some young people who would look to you are going to miss heaven. Please don't be the excuse or the reason that they miss heaven. Men, I go to five men's breakfasts That's part of the benefit of being a director of missions. You get to eat a lot. (laughs) I go to five men's breakfast every month and my wife always says, where did you go today? Well, I went to eat with men. One of those groups has 116 men who met yesterday. One of those groups has 27 men who met Saturday a week ago. One of them has about 33 men who'll meet a week from now, and one of them has 64 men. Now, you do the math real quick. Troy, that's about as many miles as you and the Griswold family drove last week. It's <laughs> about 200 men. Guess where they are? They're in Hood County, United States of America. And they're God-fearing men. And if anybody wants to gripe about a church, go to the men of the church. Because the muscle of the church are the men of the church. Now, not a man led me to Jesus. My Sunday school teacher led me. And in camp, a lady led me. But the men, by being an example, a silent example, taught me what it meant to stand up for Jesus. I plan to stand for him the rest of my life. And I hope you will too. You don't be a hindrance to guys like Dirk Green. If you are, I'll call Troy and say, What's their address? I need to pay them a visit. <laughs> the role of a director of missions is to be a funnel. I've worked with preachers who were bricks, I've worked with preachers who were sponges. I want to be a preacher, a man of God, who's a funnel. I want to direct your thoughts and your thinking and your energy in the right direction. I'm not a theologian, never claimed to be. A theologian makes you want to think. I think there's three groups of people in churches. There are thinkers who overthink everything. Usually they're on your budget committee or your committee to change the carpet. You know, earth shattering things. The things to move the piano from this side to that side. Those are your overthinkers. Then you have the feelers in a church. Oh, that music today made me feel so good. Oh, the air conditioning was working today. I feel That's great. I, mean. I feel like it. Hmm. This book doesn't talk a thing about those two categories of people. This book says, "Be ye doers of the word, doers of the word." doers of the word and not hearers only. So to the men of this church that's had a great history in our association, I praise God for this church. But I want to be able to say proudly and boldly, Lord, I praise you for the men of this church who will always stand in the gap, who will always stand for you and your cause. If it takes you having a change of heart, we're going to have just a minute of invitation. Ellen, would you do some magic on those keys? Brother Troy, would you come down here and stand in front of me and block me so nobody can see (laughs) me to throw tomatoes? And would you all stand? This is a special time. We ask the Lord if anybody's been touched by Dirk's testimony. You didn't really hear a sermon except by Dirk Green today. I hope you saw a sermon by me. Be a doer of the word, please. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Just maybe one verse of some song you got ready, Ellen. If somebody feels a calling on your heart to surrender or to follow the Lord in baptism or go into ministry, come here and talk to Troy. We pray for you, I promise. Jesus knew your magic in this time of invitation. So if he anybody here has been touched by anything that's been sung or said or witnessed, they would come down here and confess that to their pastor, Troy Strickland. I pray this prayer, Jesus.